Welcome to the Radiant Church Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Grab a Bible or open up your favorite Bible app as we get into God's Word together. Hey, good morning, family. Y'all doing all right? Amen. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, go ahead and open up to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. As you're turning there, just a refresher and a reminder for some of us, we began walking through the book of James. There are times we will do a series on a specific topic that the Lord addresses in Scripture, but our regular steady diet of going through the Word is walking through books of the Bible line by line, verse by verse, to see what the Lord has to say to us. And so we began a brand new series through the book of James last week. And just by way of reminder, James is a hard book, but it's written with the heart of a pastor. James was most likely the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, had, had gone through suffering and persecution, and he's writing a letter to his people scattered, giving them an anchor for their hope and encouraging them to continue to live this transformed life, to not neglect obedience just because it got a little bit harder. And that's why we're going through the book of James today, because I believe it has something for us this morning. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I'm going to read verses 5 through 8, and then I'm going to pray for us. The Word of the Lord says, Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. He gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I need you in this moment. God, would you make your word come alive in the, in the ears of your hearers? God, would you draw us closer to the cross this morning? Would you give us a greater submission to your word as we rely on the power of the Spirit at work within us? God, I pray for anyone who does not know you, who does not have a relationship with you, God, they may know church, they may know these verses that we're looking at, but they don't know you. God, I pray that even now you'd begin calling them out of sin and into righteousness. And would you encourage us all? And God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. The Bible sometimes is a hard book to understand what the authors meant. There are lots of passages, even familiar passages, that sometimes we don't really understand what the author really means, and James is full of those passages. A lot of the scriptures that we're going to look at as we walk through the book of James may sound familiar to those who've been around church for a while, but the problem is oftentimes we hear those verses disconnected. And this is one of those circumstances. It seems to be that James is talking about wisdom and how we're to get it if we don't know what to do. And that's not untrue. But just like other popular verses, just because it's true doesn't mean that that's all God is saying. The most popular version is Jeremiah 29. Some of you may know it. I know the thoughts and plans that I think of you are plans to what? Prosper you, to give you hope. Um, That's written on college graduation cards every single year. Um, Parents, if that was your plan, I'm sorry. You can still write it. It's okay. Um, But this really, this encouraging thing that God has a plan for your life. 
And that's true. We see in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, that God did save you for a reason, that you were created with purpose. But that's not all that Jeremiah the prophet was saying. He was actually speaking to a people and reminding them that although they are surrounded by literal enemies, that God's promises of deliverance will come true. We find that same principle in James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, about lacking wisdom. And the way to understand the text in its rightful place is sometimes you got to go to the original languages. Sometimes you got to use commentary. Sometimes you can use aids of Scripture, like the Scripture notebook, shameless plug here, um, to get you in your word. Um, we have Scripture notebooks in the back for you. You can grab one. They are our gift to you. They're free. they got the Bible on one side and empty spaces on the other for you to take notes. We want to encourage you to get in God's word. Um, so there's lots of tools that you can use, cross-references, original languages, commentaries to understand what the Bible is saying. But sometimes, most of the time even, the first step to understanding isn't going to another resource, but to just reading more of the Bible. I'm going to put before us today that James is not just talking about if we are undecided or if we are at a crossroads of a big decision in your life. That this verse about lacking wisdom and asking God isn't just about who you should marry, where you should live, what decision you should make on the other side of this big crossroads of life. No, I'm going to put before us that he's actually talking about a specific response to the trials of life. Now, we could go to some Greek languages and words. We could go to some cross-references. But honestly, if we just read it in context, I think you will see what I hope we all see. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to read verses 2 through 8. And if you were part of our community group, this is why we did this, is so we can understand what James is really talking about. What does he mean about asking God for wisdom? Listen to verses 2 through 5. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you will be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly. Did you see the meaning and intention shift just a little bit? Just reading it all at one time, you begin to see that this asking God for wisdom isn't disconnected from our response to trials that we are going through. As a matter of fact, I think Paul James is actually speaking to the deepest question that we all tend to ask when we go through various trials. When we go through the suffering and brokenness of life, the questions are about all the same. Let me see if any of these sound familiar. God, what are you doing? God, why am I going through this? God, what about this person who's living wicked and is enjoying all that there is to enjoy in life, and I'm pursuing righteousness, and I seem to be broken and bruised every step of the way? You see, when we go through various trials, there are deep questions about what God is doing, about the very nature of God himself that James is speaking directly to. If any of you lack wisdom in a trial, if any of you are unsure about who God is or what God is doing, here are some encouragements for you. And so James gives us three specific encouragements that I want to walk through. Then he ends with both a promise and a warning. Three specific encouragements and then a promise and a warning. What is the first encouragement? One is that we can ask God. Look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, what should he do? He should ask God. There are times where we forget the thing that's right in front of us. I remember one time I was talking to, this happens all the time. I say one time, but it happens all the time. I'm on a FaceTime call with my sister or somebody like that. And someone says, hey, I just sent you a text. Go look at it. And I'm looking for my phone while holding it up for FaceTime. 
Like, you send, you send me the picture, I'm like, I'm trying to look at it. Where's my phone? And I'm holding it right here. Sometimes the things that we have, we just, we just absent-minded and we forget. And I think in trials and, and suffering, there's moments that we just honestly forget that we can actually ask God. We're listening to podcasts and we're reading books and we're talking with all of our friends and neighbors and we're making pros and cons lists and we're unsure. We just forget, man, I can just ask God. I know that's my temptation, man. I, I have a plan for everything, y'all, and the staff here knows. I ain't going to run into a roadblock that I'm not going to have an immediate plan for. And sometimes I just forget, man, what does God want to do? What does God want me to do in this situation, even if I feel like I know? Let me give you all one word that will change your Christian life. Y'all ready? Repeat after me. Say help. Help. That's a weird word to say, isn't it? Most of us have been taught our whole lives not to say that word. But if I'm going to be honest here, man, and I hope a preacher would, I've said help more times in the last six months than I have my entire life. Because I just don't know, y'all. I just don't know what to do. And I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm kind of a nerd on the low, and I got all these prayers I've memorized from the Puritans and from scriptures, but sometimes all I got is help. God, help. God, I don't, I don't know what to do. Help. In life, tests are what we do to prove our knowledge. All the college students said amen. Right? Tests are to demonstrate what you know. That is not so in the Christian life. In the Christian life, tests that we go through, trials that we go through, aren't meant to demonstrate what we know, but to remind us who we need to know. It's not to show us how strong or how smart or how savvy we are. It's to help us run back to the source of our strength. When brokenness hits, when suffering hits, when the unplanned for hits, that's not your time to show how strong you are, how smart you are. That's a time to run back to the seat of mercy and say, God, help. And all of our getting, let us get wisdom from God, not just the opinions of men. So the first encouragement is a simple one, but a profound one, to just go to God and ask Him. When we are in moments of suffering or uncertainty, let's just ask God for help. Why? Because these next two encouragements, the one that He gives to all and He gives generously. Verse 5, now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all. What does it say in your Bible? Does it say all too? Why? Because there's no other way to translate that word. It literally means all. Let me give you an example. Y'all remember back in the day, um, this might have been a lifetime ago, where people got on big boxes that have wings on them and used to fly across the country? Y'all remember where flying was the thing, like before COVID and corona? Now that's like ridiculous to see that many people in one space. Um, but there was a time where we traveled by plane all the time. There was a time where I did that. And, you know, I remember when I first started flying, it's like, hey, you want to pay a little extra to be in the first boarding group? And I was like, I want to be on first. Let me do that. So I paid my little extra $12 and got in the first boarding group, right? How many people know that that's not the first boarding group? There's, there's veterans, there's military, there's people wheelchair, there's mom with kids, there's first class, there's priority class, there's gold class. There's pla like, you watch all these people walk right in front of you boarding this plane. And then if you're in section A, group one, now you are free to board, Right? 
And we look all these people who've got more access and more privileges than we walk right past us to the head of the line. And in Christianity, we think that other people have more access than we do. We think that God has somehow created a caste system of those who are the really faithful who get their prayers answered and everyone else. I mean, I've heard it from even friends who ask me, like, hey, man, can you pray with me? And one of my favorite things to do is to pray with people, y'all. Because it, it for me, it's a humbling thing to not solve the problem, to just go to the Lord in prayer. So I love to pray with people. But oftentimes, I'm praying with folks and getting to know folks, and, and it comes up that, you know, hey, why do you want me to pray with you? Oh, man, because your prayers get through. Now we got to have a conversation, right? Now we got to have a conversation about what the gospel really did and, like, the equal under the Like, now we got to have a bigger conversation. But we believe that, don't we? Come on now. Y'all know that there's something. Let somebody go to the hospital right now. Y'all know who you're calling. You, don't, you ain't called that person all year long, but when this happens, you need somebody praying, you know who to call. Because we all believe that somehow they've got access that we don't. And so when we go to God, we're just kind of praying, but really we need to have somebody else praying for us because God doesn't really hear our prayers because somehow we think that he's checking our list of credentials or checking our list of works that we did to make sure that he's going to answer our prayer. That if we go to God and ask him for wisdom, he's going to be like, well, you know, they said they're going to read through the Bible this year, but they've been missing a couple days. I, I, landed, in your, I landed on your toes just now, my bad. You should read the Bible every year, but it's okay. We think that somehow God's going to look at that, maybe that even that Be Radiant pledge that we made to, to be in community or to, to develop spiritual disciplines, and we've been a little bit slack, and we think God is going to bring that up first anytime we come to him. And so we don't, we just outsource our prayers. We delegate to others this asking, can you pray for me? Let, let me not, I don't want to overstate what I'm saying. There is something profoundly special about people of God praying together. That's why we pray together. That's why we're having a corporate prayer time tonight, because God somehow in the mystery of, mystery of prayer loves when people gather to pray together. So I'm not saying to not invite other people to pray for you and with you, but make sure they're actually praying with you, as in you yourself are praying. Because we are all equal at the cross. God does not have favorite children. If you are a son, if you are a daughter, then you have equal access to anyone else. So he gives to all. The second encouragement is that he gives generously. Anybody ever had somebody do them a favor and they let you know that they were doing you a favor? Like they did it in such a way where you almost didn't even want them to do it no more. Like, man, if, you, if it's going to be all this, just I, I'd rather just do it by myself. You know, old folks say, I can do bad all by myself. Like, I don't, I don't need your problems and mine. Like, if it's going to be that, then let me just do it. And so how we think that God is getting up from his desk, huffing and puffing and dragging his feet, wondering why we're bothering him again about why he runs the world. And some of that is from a good place, man. I remember the, the prayers of the mothers in the church I grew up in. They used to say things like, God, if you don't do anything else for me, you have been good already. And that's true. We hear things like, God, I don't want to come to you asking for anything. I just want to thank you for what you've already done. Amen? And there's a place for that. But God is God, and God is also a father. Fathers, on your best day, right, because we all got bad days, but on your best day, don't you love giving gifts to your children? Don't you work a little bit harder, spend more money than you should, spend more time than you had to give just to see the smile on that child's face? 
and you don't want anything. You don't want them to feel bad of the sacrifices that you made. You just want to see the joy on their face. Parents, we have been there before. Those of you whose love language is giving gifts, my, uh, my, my sister, one of her love languages is actually cooking for people. Um, and so it's really weird, though, because she makes you food. Like, she doesn't eat. She just watches. Anybody know somebody like that? I'm not going to look at you, Deacon Dave, Gabe. I know. I know you back there. <laughs> like, when they make something and they don't eat, they just watch, right? Because you're enjoying the food is what gives them joy, right? And there's certain things that we do that we don't want anything out of return. We just want to see you enjoy it, and that's what gives us joy. That's how God is to his children. He gives us things, not because we bent his arm and he was busy, but we pestered him enough. Finally, he got up from the couch. No, he wants to give us good gifts. How do we know that? If you're a believer, this is something that you should never question, is the generosity of God. Romans 8.32, he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him, with Jesus, grant us everything? If Jesus was poured out for us as an offering for our sins, you think God is going to begrudge us for asking for wisdom and help? If God gave his son, that's proof that he will give everything else. He won't do it to make us feel as if he's doing us a favor, but it will be a generous gift. So the three encouragements, one is that we are reminded to ask God, and when we ask God, we know that he is both generous and he gives to all. And there we find the great promise. And it simply says that I love the absolute language. It says, and it will be given to him. And it will be given. There is a certainty that if we ask God from his generosity, from his not not being a respecter of persons, that it will be given. Now, let's have a real conversation for a second. Has that been your experience? When you, ask, when you have asked God for wisdom in the seasons of suffering in your life, did you get up feeling like the sage on the mountain? Did you get up feeling, I know exactly what to do? Sometimes. But sometimes we cry and we pray and we journal and we read and we still feel just as lost. Here's the difference between God answering our prayers and us feeling as if God answered our prayers. We may not feel like the sage on the mountain, yet the posture of our heart has changed to allow God's supernatural intervention in our thinking that prioritizes his will over all of the things in our life. You see, when we pray, we're not actually changing God's mind about anything. We're actually changing us to be in a posture and a position to allow God to do what he wants to do in our life. It's us that changes in prayer, not God. God wants to give. God wants to answer. God is always speaking, yet we can't oftentimes hear him. And so the promise that we have to hold on to isn't that we will feel wise. It's that God will work his wisdom out even through our uncertainty. Roll it back, y'all. Look back in a season of your life where you did cry out help and you had no idea what to do and you still felt confused every single day. But can you look back now with a little bit of distance between then and now and say, man, God was doing something I wasn't even aware of. 
Even my bad decisions God somehow redeemed. Even ideas that never would have come from me all of a sudden bubbled up. The promise isn't that we will feel wise. The problem is that he will give wisdom. Now, we've got a condition and a warning before we wrap up today. Verse 6, but let him ask, hold up. All this talk about God being generous and God being, we should just come to him, not worrying about what he does, and all of a sudden, a but. Let's find out what it says. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. So you mean to tell me that if you ask God for anything, you can never doubt it, or you might as well have not have prayed in the first place. Is that what God is saying? Let's say maybe. Let's say maybe. I appreciate your faith, though. <laughs> boys, they got to have faith like a child, boy. He's like, yeah, what you doubting God for? I appreciate that. I ain't mad at that. But God's a little more compassionate than we would be. <laughs> Let me give us an example so that we can understand what doubt means and what doubt doesn't mean. Romans chapter 4, verse 30. Four, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 4, verse 20. How many people would say that Abraham in the Bible was a man of faith? Would you say that? It's not a trick question. I'm not trying to trick you into nothing, right? Abraham was a man of faith. He was one of the pillars of the faith. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the patriarchs of not just the Jewish religion, but of Christianity itself. Through him, all the nations will be blessed. Romans chapter 4, verse 20 says something profound. He says, talking about Abraham, that he says, Abraham, he did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. So Romans is clear that Abraham did not waver in his faith, but was strengthened as he obeyed. But how many people know the story of Abraham? Does that seem right? Let me refresh our members. I know y'all know the story. Y'all are all Bible scholars, but just for the sake of me, let's go to Genesis 17 real quick. Verse 15 through 18 says, God said to Abraham, as for your wife Sarai, do not call her Sarai, for Sarah will be her name. I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will produce nations, and kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. Then he laughed and said to himself, Can a child be born to a 100-year-old man? Can Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, give birth? So Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael were acceptable to you. So now we have to work through the tension here. How does Paul in Romans chapter 4 say that Abraham never wavered, and clearly Abraham is wavering, to the point that he laughed at God and said, hey, man, we already got a son, Ishmael. Let's just call it done. You see, doubt here isn't wrestling and struggling to believe because as Abraham is laughing to himself, what is he doing? He is bowing with his face to the ground. See, he's recognizing God as God. He's just struggling to believe because he can't see it. But his posture is one of obedience. His posture is one of saying, God, I'm, I'm your servant. My face is bowed low to the ground because you are still God. I just got some questions. Some of us know Mark chapter 9, verse 24, a man crying out for healing for his child says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. 
You see, James here isn't saying that we shouldn't struggle to believe. He's saying that our allegiance must be decided. Let me read verses 6 through 8 of James chapter 1 in the New Living Translation, which I think does a good job of capturing what's being said. It says, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty, a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. See, we're not talking about I'm struggling, but I still recognize you as God. We're talking about I don't know if you're really God or not. It'll depend on what you say. Y'all, y'all ever had a conversation with somebody, and they're asking you for advice, but they're really not asking you for advice? They just want you to agree with what they already decided to do, right? Like, it's like, you keep saying, no, I don't think that's a good idea. And they say, well, what about this? Like, bro, if, you, if your mind is already made up, like, don't ask me for advice. Like, if you're already going to do what you're going to do, like, don't waste anybody's time. Oftentimes, our prayers are really more that than coming to God as God. God, here's what I want to do. Here's the person I want to be with. Here's the decision I want to make. Here's the circumstances I will and will not allow. Here's the verses that I will and won't obey. Will you allow me to do that? Here's how you know. Because church folks will say something like, I know the Bible says, but it don't matter what you say after but. That's sin. I know the Bible says forgive, but I know the Bible says serve, but I know the Bible says give, but I know it says, Bible, we need one another, but it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter how good and rational your excuse sounds. You are being a double-minded man or a double-minded woman. Your, your loyalty is divided between the world and God. Let me give two really quick examples of what that looks like in our current day and age. How many people by show of hands have heard of the term deconstructing your faith or deconstructing Christianity, right? It, it literally means just a systemic pulling apart of one's belief systems for examination. Y'all, this is on face a good thing because some of us were raised where politics and religion got a little too intertwined, where culture and theology got a little too intertwined. And so it can be a good thing to pull that apart and say, God, what are you really saying? Who are you really? But man, it could be a dangerous thing when our loyalty is divided because some of our deconstruction isn't from a place of what does the book say? Some of our deconstruction comes from that don't seem right to me. Now that's the dangerous part. Well, God, about sexuality and gender and marriage and sex before marriage and finances, like that don't seem right to me. And so we go to the God as judge. We go to the Bible as judge rather than under submission. So some of our deconstruction isn't really deconstruction. It's just selfishness. It's just we disagree with God's sexual ethic. We disagree with God's kingdom ethic. We disagree with God's priority on justice and reconciliation. We just disagree. And the Bible says that you have divided loyalty. Another example is those who are lukewarm. Now, if you grew up in church now, you know about being lukewarm. <laughs> they said that thing. I was, you, I was more afraid about being lukewarm than going to hell. 
You know, whatever, one thing you don't want to be is lukewarm. Why? Because Revelation 3, 15 and 16, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish, li- listen to the word of the Lord, I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Here's the thing. God is saying, I'd rather you just outright reject me than say you do, but live as if you don't. Why? Because if you reject God, at least you get God's mercy. If you receive him, you get his grace and mercy and redemption. But if you choose neither, you get neither. Verse 7, I want you to put your eyes on it. Put your eyes on verse 7. Those who have divided loyalty should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Hold up, y'all. I thought we were talking about wisdom. Wasn't James just talking about asking for wisdom? We do this all the time, married folks, right? Uh, Any conversation where sometimes you start talking about taking out the trash, but now it becomes a conversation about respect. Like, oh, whoa, I thought we just, I thought we just talking about, I didn't get, no, you don't respect, if you respected me, you would like, all becomes, it becomes this big thing. And that's what James the pastor is doing. He's saying, I ain't just talking about wisdom no more. I'm talking about the, the nature of the transformed life is you have got to choose who you will serve. He's using this as an opportunity to get to the deeper issue that if we have divided loyalties, church, God is going to sit back and remove his active presence in our lives until we choose. God will sit back. His act, he will pull his active presence from our lives until we choose. We saw that in Romans chapter 1, that he turned them over to their sins. That he said, okay, you clearly don't want me, so you can have you. And all the benefits of that, if you want to call them benefits, So being lukewarm is showing up to church on Sunday, doing what we're doing, but your co-workers and fellow students and friends would be shocked that you're a believer because you've got divided loyalty. Some days you want God and the kingdom. Some days you just want you and comfort and pleasure. The Bible says that that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And it goes so far as to say that they are unstable in everything they do. Y'all, hear me give you a counseling tip. If you find yourself bailing someone out, one of your friends out consistently and regularly because they find themselves always in a moment of crisis, always in a moment of turmoil, always in a situation where they need help, maybe it's because they have yet to choose whom they will serve. And their whole life is reaping the whirlwind of their lack of choice. Maybe it's not just they got another bad manager. That's why they lost their job. Maybe it's not because this relationship ended poorly because that person is always the problem. Maybe it's because that we have yet to settle in our hearts whom we will serve and we are reaping the world. Do you see the connection? James is going to do this throughout the book that he uses words to link ideas. In verse 4, it says that if you let endurance have its full effect, if you submit to God's process in your life, you will be mature and complete lacking nothing. If you are double-minded, by the way, you can expect God to do nothing. 
When we let endurance have its perfect work, God is at work in us, completing us and shaping us and forming us. When we choose to be double-minded with divided loyalties, God does nothing, and we reap the harvest of our own decisions. Divided loyalty brings disaster every time, y'all. And you can fool people, but you can't fool God. I can get up here and, and preach a good word. I can preach the shout down. Y'all can shout me down every single Sunday, but if I ain't going home living this thing out, it will come out. We have seen that, amen? You can pretend to be this type of person around some people and be who you really are around other people, and you can fool some of the people all the time. You can fool all the people some of the time, but you can't fool everybody forever. Because eventually, God, out of his love for you, will expose you. Divided loyalty brings destruction every single time. So what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? D.L. Moody says this in his book, Secret Power. He says, before we pray that God would fill us up, I believe we ought to pray that he would empty us. Before we pray that God would fill us up, D.L. Moody says that he believes that we should pray that God would empty us. If we feel distant from the presence of God, if we feel disconnected from God's activity in our life, maybe it's because God has been clear and we've been disobedient. We know what we should do, and yet we find our loyalties divided. If we feel like God's power and presence is not active in our lives, maybe it's because we are coming to God as judge. Saying, God, I'm a judge how you do things in your book, and if I agree, I'll do it, and if I disagree, I won't, rather than coming him as God. And so this week, here's what I want you to do. One, I want you to ask God for help. There are areas in your life that you are trying to figure something out that you don't have to. Maybe you have delegated praying to other people, but you yourself haven't gone to the Lord and say, God, help. Would you pray this week that God would just help, that he would intervene in your life? And as you pray, would you also pray that God would empty us out of our selfishness, out of our distraction, out of our divided loyalties? Because we all have them to a degree. We all want a life that's relatively safe, relatively comfortable. We all want peace. But maybe what God is calling us to is obedience, trusting his process. And so just pray for wisdom, pray for help, but pray that God would empty us out of all loyalties that are competing for ultimate supremacy in his kingdom, for ultimate submission to him as God and king. And then we have a great promise to hold on to, that he will give generously, that he will meet us in our time of need and answer us. Let's pray. Thank you for joining our family in North Charleston as we heard God's word preached today. We would love to connect with you. You can find us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us a message to learn more about what Radiant Church is doing or support the vision of Radiant Church at radiantcharleston.com giving.